What's up, everyone? Good to have you here on a stormy night. Wasn't really storming. Was it storming up here? It was storming in Wailua, so. But then it got sunny, and then it started getting weird again. Kona Low. That's the storm? <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone. Hey, glad you can make it tonight and make it here safely, but um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to get right into it. We're going to be in John. We're going to be in John chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to go to 21. Um, my wife can do this because sometimes I can go a little bit too fast. Like I just like, blah, 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 and then just like, phew. so she'll go like this, be like, slow down, dude. It's too fast. Can't even get anything. So uh, we're going to start by reading all the way, 21 verses. We got this. So we're going to be in John chapter 10, verse 21. Ready? It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6 says, This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. If anyone, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 10, verse 10. If you guys can just want to underline this verse, this is the verse. The thief comes only to kill, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay, my, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Verse 19, a division occurred among, them, among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Father, we thank you for the word of God. I pray that you would speak through this word, Lord, and, and through this passage and through this page tonight in this text, and I just let it speak true to our ears. 
Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us in such a powerful and unique way. Um, speak to us individually, God. Maybe there's something here, Lord, that I haven't said or that's not mentioned, Lord, but you are, um, but that you would relay this truth to someone in this room tonight. Father, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at in every season, in every walk of life, Lord, you're there. And so help us to be aware of your presence and your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've probably noticed that uh, Jesus tries to communicate to us, uh, communicate to all of us in such a way that uh, we might begin to kind of see our desperate need for him. If that's not happening, then it should be happening within our hearts, and I pray that's happening for us. And, and the way that he portrays himself throughout the gospel is that what he does is he compares himself to the essential things in life very essential. Like this word essential means absolutely necessary. Like food, right? He does food. He says, I am the bread of life. Like water, he says, I'm living water. He says, like light, right? I am the light of the world. And because if you were to go and try and live without these things, the body can only go so long until it eventually shuts down. That's exactly what happens. And so physically, we listen to our bodies when it tells us to eat. We listen to our bodies when it tells us to drink because if not, it's a matter of life and it's a matter of death. That's it. And so I don't know how many other ways teachers or preachers can relay the same message, but Jesus will draw the line in the sand for us. And basically what he's saying that if you decide to live without me, it will be certain death. Certain death. But if you decide to live with me and continue to live with me, you will have life and life forever. And the good news is you can have as much as you want of me. That's what he's saying. Right, like you don't have to watch your weight. Right, like you don't have to count those calories. You can indulge. You, like you can go for that second plate, you know, Thanksgiving, like you can go for that second plate, you can make that plate home for later and eat that one later too. Like what I'm trying to say is that there is no end to how much of Jesus you can have. No end. But we have to understand, we have to see, just like food, our greatest needs cannot be met by just eating once a week. Your body was designed to eat and drink daily, and a healthy diet consists of three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why? So that you can go out and face the day. And when you go out to face the day, you'll be able to run and function the way you were meant to. And yet it is the same for us here spiritually. And I'm not just talking about us finding three times out of the day to spend with Jesus. No, that's good and all. I'm saying that Jesus should be our steady diet. Steady diet. Like we cannot treat Jesus as some kind of pill that we take only when we need him. Only when we've gone too far. Only when we've made a mess of things. Because if we only see this relationship that way, then what happens for the rest of the week or for the rest of the time, you are trying to fill your hunger and thirst with things that don't fill your hunger and thirst. And yet the reason why I say this is because oftentimes when it is this way, we can often find ourselves indulging in things that only rob us from life. We can only find ourselves indulging in things that take life from us. And yet the reason Jesus compares himself to these essential things in life is not just for us to know how much we need him, but it's for us to know how badly he wants us. 
badly. He couldn't compare himself to anything else in this world, and yet he chose bread and water, two things we aren't able to live without, two things that we consume daily. It is God's way of saying, I want to be your steady diet, but it is also God's way of saying, I want you daily. I want to be with you daily. I don't want you just once a week. I don't want you when you just mess up. I want to be with you every single moment of the day. And trust me, I don't think there's anything that you can do that's going to surprise him. Like I say it all the time, he knows what he bought before he bought it. It's because we can go astray. It's because we have a tendency to kind of wander off. It is his desire to be with us moment after moment after moment so that he can rightly guide our steps, so that he can properly care for our souls, so that he can lead us into life and more of it. Amen? Now, in this chapter, what we're getting into is going to be, I think, pretty quick, but what we're getting into might be a foreign concept for most of us here, but it was something familiar to the audience back then. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus used this illustration because it was said that almost, and I don't know how true this is, but it was said that almost, you can quote Abelian for this, it was said that almost 80% of the workforce back in those days were made up of shepherds. 80%. And so the people listening to Jesus knew exactly what the job description of a shepherd was. And they knew exactly the behavior of the sheep now. Every time I've heard pastors preach on this topic of shepherding and the herding of sheep, the emphasis has always been on how dumb the sheep are or how stupid the sheep are. Now, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with them because if you look up some facts about sheep, it's pretty wild. Like if you bring out a herd of sheep to kind of graze in a field, even after they finished eating all the grass, they'll just stay there. Like, you have to go and guide them over to another part of the field so they can continue grazing. Sheep are also known to wander off. I know you guys heard this one before. Sheep are also known to wander off, and for those who are real persistent, constantly wandering, I've heard that the shepherd goes after them. And when he goes after them, he breaks their legs. And then what he does is that he carries this sheep on his back until the legs are fully healed. And guess what happens to that little lamb? It never leaves the shepherd's side again. Now, I don't know how true that is. Today I found out that's just a myth, right? I have no idea how sheep were trained back then. You can tell me I'm wrong later, but I ain't taking no chances, right? Like I like my legs, and I'm sure you like your legs too. And although we can go on and on and on and on about sheep, there's so many facts about them, we need to stay true to the text because that's what people do. You see, they see a passage like this one and what the first thing they do is look up the behavior of the sheep. But last time I checked, this wasn't called the illustration of the stupid sheep. (laughs) This has always been the illustration of the loving shepherd. That's who's being elevated here tonight, the faithful one, the committed one, the one who is good, the good shepherd. And so if there's anything that John wants us to see, it's the one that watches over the sheep. That's who we're supposed to look at. Because without the shepherd's guidance, without his leadership, without his protection, sheep cannot make it on their own. They cannot. They need him. 
Now, this portion of scripture is broken into two sections. Verses 1 through 10, we have Jesus saying, I am the door. Verses 11 through 18, we have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Now, both of these roles are actually played by the shepherd himself. But before we get there, Jesus begins by addressing the Jewish nation, starting in verse 1 through 6. So let's read that. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and he is a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, because, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he was saying to them. We have to understand first in context that Jesus is talking to the nation of Israel. This is what the sheepfold represents. The sheepfold is Israel. Now, a sheepfold back then was an enclosure made of rocks and there was only one opening for the door. That's how they went in and out, right? So enclosure, big, big wall, enclosure, and there was just one entrance. Now, and within that opening of the entrance, there was one who watched those who came in and there was one who watched those who came out. Like, this doorkeeper didn't just grant access to anybody. No way. He knew the shepherd and he knew there was a flock that belonged to him. So whoever, where the shepherd would come, he would bring his flock, that's where they stayed and he knew the guy. Right? So, we're good? Now, Jesus begins to explain that the only other way into the sheepfold is by climbing over the walls. He begins to explain that these people who try to get into the enclosure or some other way are only thieves and robbers, but a true shepherd, the real shepherd, will always come through the front door. You see, Jesus here is saying the door is there for a reason. Anybody who comes in any other way is a false shepherd. Anybody that does not go through the doorkeeper will not lead you into life, but only rob you from it. Jesus is making the claim that any, anybody besides the true shepherd, any religious leader, any person, any religion, anything today that offers you salvation is not true salvation. Anything. Once again, Jesus is drawing the line in the sand. You see, in this text, what he's saying is that there's only one true shepherd. The rest of the people cannot be that. Why? Because here in verse 3 to 5, it explains that there's a unique relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. Let's read that. It says this, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, back in those days, there were many shepherds, which means there were many different flocks. And so it wasn't unusual to have several flocks sheltered together under the same fold. Now, what would happen is that in the morning, the shepherd would come and he didn't need to separate the sheep that belonged to him and the ones that didn't. 
All he simply did was call out. That's it. He would call out to them. And not just call out, but it says here that he knew the sheep by name. The shepherds knew their sheep by name. And so what would happen is that these sheep would hear the voice of their master and they would respond to him. Study shows sheep aren't dumb as you think they are. But they are experts in hearing the voice of their shepherd. Any other voice that tries to call out to them won't work. They have ears for only one leader. And so now what we have up to this point is that there is a shepherd for a certain flock. And what this shepherd is doing is making his way into the sheepfold in order to call his sheep out. And so if you haven't seen it by now, Jesus is making the claim that he is the true shepherd. And the sheepfold that Jesus talks about is the nation of Israel. And what he's doing, he's calling out to the ones who just might hear his voice from all the different opinions as we read in verse 19 to 21, from all the dif different opinions of the crowd and the rejection that's coming from the Pharisee, Jesus begins, to make to, Jesus begins to make his way in so that he might lead some people out. That's what's going on here. And I believe this is how Jesus met most of us here today. Is that the true shepherd, Jesus, will come to whatever sheepfold we might be enclosed in and he calls us out of it. You see, my whole life I've been following after fake shepherds and false shepherds and false leaders. I can testify right now. The ideal for me was that true life, this is what true life must be all about. But I was deceived. I was deceived my whole life. I had no idea that doing that or following that lifestyle, I'd be addicted to drugs at the age of 14. Like, I had no idea. Like, I thought it was fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun later. I had no idea that I'd been feeding into this lust problem my whole life that still tries to pop its ugly head out today. And all my life I've been chasing after things that never gave me life but only took it from me. It robbed me from life. But there was a day where he called me by name. And maybe he's calling you out tonight too. I wouldn't be surprised that the doorkeeper in this part of the story is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying to you and me tonight, you don't belong there. You belong to me. You don't need to continue doing all those things. I'll show you better pastures. I'll bring you to greener fields. You see, Jesus, you see what Jesus does is that he calls us out so that he might bring us in. Let's read verse 7 to 10. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, what Jesus is doing right now is he's painting another picture for us. The first thing he wanted us to see is that he came to bring sheep out of a fold. But the next picture he paints for us is that these sheep now belong to a new flock. Jesus begins to say to them, I am the door of the sheep. Anyone who enters through me, he or she will be saved. And when you realize the shepherd is the door that stands in front of the entrance, you get this picture of Jesus being both the way into life and the way of life. I'm going to say that one more time. 
when you realize that the shepherd is the door that stands in front of the entrance, you get this picture of Jesus being both the way into life and the way of life. He's both. You see, he doesn't save us so that we might go back into the flock we came from. He saves us to bring us into a new one. But not only that, it says that his sheep, his sheep freely go in and out and find pasture. He didn't say my, my sheep freely go in and out and go visit familiar pasture. No, it says they go out and find pasture. I read King James Version too. It says find pasture. NLT says to go out and find good pastures. What does this mean? To find something means you've never found something. To find something means you haven't found it before unless you've lost something. But when the Bible says for the believer that all things become new, I don't believe Jesus wants us grazing over old fields again. No, instead he's going to take us into better fields. He's going to take us into better pastures. Because not only is he the way into life, but this verse, John 10, 10, also shows us that he is the way of life. Let's read that one more time. The thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus leaves no room for us to think that life, true life, could ever come from any other source. It cannot. He's saying there is only two people in this world, and in this case, in this verse, it's the evil thief or the loving shepherd. One takes life from you while the other gives you life and continues to give you more and more and more and more and more of it. You see, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is that the sheep goes wherever the shepherd goes. He, Jesus said it. See, wherever the shepherd calls, the sheep responds. And I believe most of us here are much smarter than sheep. But my question for us tonight is, do we imitate the same relationship of the sheep and the shepherd tonight? Because the sheep, were no, because the sheep know where to go. You see, they know the voice of their master. And so when they hear him, they respond. When he sings, I heard shepherds sings, and they know the tune they follow. When he calls, they na- when he calls their name, they gather. You know, oftentimes, obedience to God is not always the easiest thing, but it's what he requires. Obedience to God is not always the easiest things, but that's what God requires. He says obedience in 1 Samuel 15 is better than sacrifice. What he's saying is to obey me is better than giving me your money. To obey me is better than serving. To obey me is better than any kind of religious activity. Why? Because it's the heart that God is after. He wants you. Not your money. Not your time. Not your service. He wants you. And because willing disobedience in our lives only shows us that we still haven't let God be God yet. Willing disobedience in our lives shows us that we still haven't let God be God yet. For God to say no and for you to say yes is saying, I don't trust your judgment, I know better than you. And like I said earlier, I really like my legs. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if the shepherd breaks legs. I don't know, we'll see. And so whenever I have a hard time keeping up with what God is telling me to do, I always remember John 10.10. Always. 
The thief comes only to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life abundant. I have to remember that he is for me and for the goodness of my soul. And so whatever he may be asking me to do or whatever he may be asking me not to do always stems from this promise of adding life to me, never taking it away. Which brings us into our final portion of scripture, the good shepherd. You ever wondered how much God loves me? Like you ever asked that, like how much does God love me? How, how much does he really care about me? Well, it's here in verse 11. Let's read that. It says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. And so what Jesus is saying to here in this verse to the people that are listening, he's saying that I'm not here. This isn't some job that I'm getting paid for. Like, I'm not here because it's going to benefit me. I'm here because it's going to benefit you, all of you. And because shepherding were family-owned businesses, someone who was just a hired hand would not risk their lives for sheep that's not their own. I get it, right? Like, Keone's a business owner. Like, your coworkers don't know the numbers. You know the numbers, so you care. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that he is fully committed to what belongs to him. Let me say that one more time. The point that Jesus is trying to make here is that he is fully committed to what belongs to him. And guess what? He is so committed to see you live that he would die for you. I want to say that one more time. He is so committed to see you live that he would die for you. How do I know that he had you in mind? Verse 16. Let's read that. He says, well, let's start in 15. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16 says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. You see, if you know, Jesus here is talking to ethnic Jews. But the good news of the gospel didn't just stop there. No, at the Great Commission, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every tongue, every creature, every tribe, so that the people of God would not just be ethnic Jews, but I like this, as one pastor said, a melting pot of colorful people. I don't know if that can sum it up, but I like that. I, I like that description. And so tonight, as we look back at verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep in mine. You see, in this verse, he was talking about you. When Jesus said, I have other sheep in mind, he was talking about you. He was talking about me. And to understand that means before you were even a thought, he already thought of you. <laughs> it blows my mind. Before you were even born, he made a way for you. And as the good shepherd, he called you out to bring you in now. The wolf in this story, to me, represents sin and death. That's the wolf. It is the only thing that would keep us in the grave, and yet Jesus, our good shepherd, defeated it. Because although he is our good shepherd, we should never forget that he was also a lamb. Jesus followed in complete obedience to, father, to the Father like a sheep to the shepherd. I like this, and what he did was he took upon the wolf himself so that we who put our faith in him would never have to worry about the wolf again. 
The only thing the wolf can do is pop his ugly head out every once in a while. And yet let's remember that sin wasn't only paid for in our lives fully and freely, but he also broke the power of it, Romans 6. As followers of Jesus, I am going to say this to us tonight. The phone's going to ring. You don't got to answer it anymore. Like, the phone's going to ring. You don't have to pick it up. John 10.10, the thief comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give life and life abundant. Trust the good shepherd tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for the sacrifice he made for us, Lord. We put our faith in him that he paid for our sins fully and freely and forever, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to know how much you love us tonight and how much you want us. Not to just be used, Lord, but to spend every moment and second of the day with you, God. And help us to know that your commands, Lord, in the Bible and what you tell us to do is never taking joy away from us, but adding joy into our lives. And so, God, help us to be aware of your presence in our lives this morning, or not this morning, but tonight. And as we go home, God, let us surrender our lives over to you and trust you as our good shepherd who leads us and guides us and brings us into different pastures and new fields daily. And so we love you and we praise you tonight, Jesus. Amen.